All right, as I said, Jeremiah chapter 32 is where we are tonight. So uh, hopefully you guys didn't close your Bibles before you came up here. Uh, hopefully you got there. And, uh, but either way, Jeremiah chapter 32, I'll give you a moment. And uh, of course, the Lord is about to make a proclamation here to Jeremiah. He says in verse number 26 of Jeremiah chapter 32, Jeremiah 32, 26, Then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Now what he's about to do here in the next few verses, and I'm going to kind of recap so I don't read the whole chapter, the whole rest of the chapter, but uh, those next few verses, he lets him know that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, is going to come in and he's going to give the nation of Israel over to him and he's going to put them into captivity because of all of their transgressions that they have done and they haven't hearkened onto his voice and they haven't gone with him and instead they've turned their backs on God and uh, they're going to go into captivity and they're going to be in trouble. And then he says in verse number 36, And now therefore thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel concerning this city, whereof ye say it shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword and by the famine and by the pestilence. Behold, I will gather them out of all countries whither I have driven them in mine anger and in my fury and in great wrath. And I will bring them again unto this place and I will cause them to dwell safely. And they shall be my people and I will be their God and I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever." For the good of them and of their children after them, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good, and, but I will put my fear in their hearts and they shall not depart from me. Yea, I will rejoice over them to do them good, and I will plant them in this land assuredly with my whole heart and with my whole soul. For thus saith the Lord, like as I have brought all this great evil upon this people, so will I bring upon them all the good that I have promised them. And he finishes up the chapter with a good thing, some more good things he's going to do. Uh, but the Lord here is, uh, is talking. Now, this is a great prophecy to the nation of Israel. Uh, so the nation of Israel, ultimately, they're going to go into captivity, and that's uh, what happens. We uh, see that very quickly, immediately. Uh, Jeremiah and so on, and, and uh, Jeremiah finishes up, and obviously they're going into captivity, and you get into Daniel and the minor prophets, and, and that's where they are. They're sitting in captivity. And they're, they're in prison, basically they're in bondage again uh, under a different taskmaster, but they're in bondage. And the Lord's going to go ahead and free them and he's going to bring them back out. And he does that, Ezra and Nehemiah, he goes ahead and restores the nation of Israel. But then future prophecy starts to come in here. And we get future prophecy all the way out to the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to go ahead and restore his covenant with the nation of Israel. And we can get into some crazy deep stuff right going to tonight. That's not the purpose of the message. Uh, he says something amazing. Uh, the world looks at this situation right here and uh, the world uh, looks at this whole idea that God is going to go ahead and the nation of Israel truly should not even exist today. Uh, you look at the battles and the things that they have gone through in the history of the nation, uh, they should not exist. Uh, they should have been wiped out long before today. That's just the truth. Uh, there, there should be no reason that Israel should be around but for the grace and, and the mercy of a holy God. Without the promises from God, they shouldn't exist. But His promise to them is, uh, you're going to get scattered to the ends of the earth and I'm still going to bring you back together and I'm still going to go ahead and be your God and I'm still going to go ahead and provide everything great for you. Great again and I'm going to go ahead and take care of all of those things. 
And the world looks at that and they say that can't be possible. Back up to verse number 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Tonight I want to preach on the God of all. He is the God of all. And there's some things he gives himself that title. He is the God of all and fill in the blank here. And right here, he is the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Uh, is there anything too hard for God? No, he's the God of all flesh. Uh, he is the one who is the ruler of everything created in the universe. That's who he is. And so tonight, hopefully, I'm going to try to do his name justice and how great he is. And so uh, I just like bragging about him some days. And after this morning's message, I'm going to be honest, I wanted to brag about some things tonight. So let's have a quick word of prayer and we'll get right in. And Father, I do thank you once again. Lord, you brought us in. You brought us in safely. And Lord, I do pray that you would bless the night, bless those that have come. I pray, Father, that the Word of God would have free course and your Spirit would be able to, Lord, to intercede and work in our lives. And Lord, that we'd be able to be willing to hear and to do what you ask of us tonight. I pray that Jesus Christ would be praised. I pray that, Lord, I'd be able to hold you up as high as you so richly deserve. Lord, I, I feel inadequate so often when I get talking about the greatness of God because how do you describe the greatest being in the universe? Lord, I don't rightly know that I have the words. I don't know if we could frame the words and be able to do, do you justice as to truly how wonderful you are. And so, Father, I do pray you'd help me to do that tonight. And, Lord, I pray if someone here does not have Jesus Christ as their Savior, I pray they wouldn't leave that way. I pray they'd call upon Jesus Christ and they'd get the greatest Savior that's ever been. And, Lord, the only Savior that could ever forgive them of all their sins and give them a home in heaven and promise and for sure make it so that they can have eternity with him. And Lord, once again, I do pray you would bless our night. And Lord, I pray you'd come back soon to take us home in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. First thing I want you to see about God is He is the God of all flesh. All flesh. He makes that statement and then He follows it with the statement, Is anything too hard for me? Uh, you see, Him being the God of all flesh means that there's nothing too hard for Him. Uh, he's got more power than mankind does. He's got more ability than mankind does. He's got more wisdom than the wisdom of men. In fact, the wisdom of men in his eyes is foolishness. He looks over at what you and I know and the greatness of who we think we are. I mean, we, let's face it. Let's face it. Men think they're amazing. Right? I still remember, and I know this is terrible, I still remember Bill Cosby did a whole routine on Genesis and talking about creation. It's hilarious. All right? It is. Uh, and he's, but he goes, uh, you, know, you know, it's funny. Uh, you get into Genesis' account of creation, and God goes ahead and he makes the trees and the grass and all that stuff. He says, he looks at it and he says, good. Mankind, they get the refrigerator and they say, Amazing. God makes a little bunny rabbit. He says, good. Man builds the automobile and he says, incredible. Wheels fell off the car and the refrigerator quit working. Tree's still up. Rabbit's still running. We got a weird idea of how good we are. Lord says, I'm the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? When I'm the creator of everything that you see and everything that you know and all the things and all the pieces, don't you realize as the creator, don't I have all power? <laughs> well, then what's so hard for me? 
as the God of all flesh, we realize there is nothing too hard for Him. We understand if you get over to Luke chapter 18 and verse 27, and you can get over to Luke chapter 1 and verse 37, and you can get over to Matthew chapter 18, and you can get, is there anything too hard for God? The things which are impossible with men, His statement is, are possible with God. You and I look at the impossibilities. Mankind looks, well, that's impossible. You realize for our salvation, everybody looks at you and goes, that's impossible. Isn't that what the lost world thinks? The lost world goes, how can you know you're going to heaven forever? That's impossible. Nobody can know that. Okay. You realize that uh, the statement when the Lord says the things that are impossible with men are possible with God, Luke chapter 18. That's the parable the Lord's given. And it's the rich man. And it's the eye of a needle. Well, how can these things be? Well, those things that are impossible with men, you can't figure it out. They're possible with me. Look around, well, it's impossible. You can't know your sins are forgiven. Yeah, uh, except for the fact that who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, I took it to him and he took care of it. Wait, what do you mean you can have your sins forgiven forever? Well, he says in Isaiah chapter 55, right? That his word goes out. Let's turn over there. I like that spot. I just like the spot. So I'm going to have fun tonight. Let's just relax, okay? Relax. We're doing all right tonight. I'm fine. I don't know. You don't have to be as uptight as this morning, okay? I know this morning was a little rough and we were a little blunt. We were in your face a little bit, okay? Relax. Take a breath. We're just going to brag about God, okay? And uh, if that bothers you, well, and you ought to get down here and get that fixed up. But anyways, Isaiah 55, verse number 8. The Lord speaking, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down in the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it to bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. That's an unbelievable spot right here. You think about what the Lord's telling you. He's going, all right, my thoughts aren't your thoughts. My ways aren't your ways. I'm, I got it on a whole different level. Uh, you, have you ever been around somebody? Now, we have some of the best missionaries. We have some of the best missionaries out of this church, like the ones we actually sent out. Brother Jeff Williams and I, we talk on occasion. I get, I get to chat with him just kind of on the phone sometimes, or we email him back and forth, and we're talking about different things. And that guy, is he makes me feel stupid. I, he j- I listen to him, and I think, I never would have thought of that. That's incredible. All right? Uh, he, he is. He's incredible. He's the guy, I think of him and I think he's on a different level. Right? His thought process, in my mind, I'm like, I don't know why the Lord has let you be stuck under me. All right? I have no idea why I'm your pastor and you're calling me and asking for my advice. I have no clue. All right? Uh, and I'm thinking, hey, you know, what should we do here? I'm like, Lord, give me some wisdom because I don't have enough and I already know I'm talking to somebody smarter than me. And... Uh, you ever been around somebody? Let's just, come on, be honest with you. You've been around some people. You go, 
yeah, they're next level on that. I don't have any clue, right? They're like, mm, and you're like, mm, I feel dumb next to you, okay? Uh, that's the Lord to everybody. He looks around and he just goes, you, you aren't even close. Your thoughts, your ways, he's, he's seeing things you've never seen. He knows everything that you don't know. He's got everything all put together. He's got all the pieces. He knows all the players. He's got it all. He's got all the cheat codes to the game. He's amazing, right? He's got it all together. That's him. And then we're way down there somewhere in the dirt, maybe a little bit lower in the miry pit. Anyways, before he pulled us up and put us on a rock, that's where we were. You know, you get down to the imagery right here. You know what he says? He says, that's how high I am above you. All right, remember how great I am. But check this out. As the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven. And returneth not hither. It doesn't go back at the same moment that it came down. But watereth the earth. You start getting a picture of that snow falling on top. You know what snow is up here, right? I mean, we're in New York. We know what snow is. That snow falls down. And you just see it. You know, that's the good snow globe snow, you know, it kind of just drifts down. Lord lets that settle up on top of those mountains. Down in the valleys, he lets that rain just pass over and sweep through. That nice refreshing rain. And it waters the ground. And that snow starts to melt. It starts trickling down those mountains. It gets down and starts filling in those rivers and streams. And goes all the way out. And the Lord says, and that's the thing that causes it to flower and to bud. And growth starts coming out. You know what he says? He says, I do that so you can have seed for the sower. And so the bread can go to the eater. And then he says, and that's what my word does. Oh. You talk about an amazing God with all the imagery right there that he just did for you. That's the Lord talking. That's the Lord going, hey, Isaiah, I want you to know this is what I do. And just the same way I can go ahead and put snow up on top of those mountains and I can put water and rain and have it to cause down and have that water all flow down and bring forth and bud and go ahead and make seed for the sower and bread to the eater and I can provide everything an entire world needs, I provided a book so everybody can have what they need. And it's right there and available if you'd like it. Because by the way, it'll accomplish the thing whereto I sent it. Say well, how does he do that? Because he's the God of all flesh. You say, well, not everybody gets saved. You're right. But in the day of judgment, you know what they'll have? They'll have no excuse. There won't be any excuse. You and I have example after example of people who you would go, boy, I don't know how in the world they got saved. <laughs> You might be that example for someone, amen? Where you're like, nobody thought it would be me. Nobody thought it'd be you. You realize nobody thought David would be king of Israel? His family left him in a field. Bring all your sons in. Jesse goes ahead and brings all of his sons in, except David he left out there. He goes, ah, oh, it's not David. His brothers look at him, right? Eliab, he's... he's 
I know the naughtiness of thine heart. Get back to those sheep, those few sheep you left back there. Saul hands him his armor and says, okay, here you go. Uh, and David goes, I didn't prove any of this. I'm going to go ahead with my sling and I'll go pick up some stones in the river on my way by. I'll take care of that giant. Saul's going, this is a terrible plan. David shows up. Goliath looks at him and he's going, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give your flesh to the fowls of the air, little boy. And David says, okay, well, you come at me with a sword and with a, with a shield, but I'm going to come to you in the name of the Lord. And then you found out real quick that David was not to be trifled with. And he chops the head off of a giant and becomes the king of the nation of Israel and becomes the king everybody gets compared to. Because he's a man after God's own heart. Say, so what did God do? He accomplished the thing whereto he sent it. He accomplished what he wanted accomplished. You realize that God can accomplish whatever he wants to accomplish? So why are you so fearful about what God asked you to do? I deal with people, you know what they're afraid of? They're afraid of failure. That's normal. Uh, fear of failure is huge. It's huge with a lot of people. You know the problem with fear of failure is? In Christian ministry and in doing anything for the church and doing anything for the work of the Lord, you do realize that if God asks you to do it, then you are not responsible for the outcome He is. <laughs> Talk about leaving a lot of pressure off. I'll tell you, that's a pressure release valve right there. Uh, because you, you realize that if the Lord asked you to do it, then He chose you on purpose. And if he chose you on purpose, then he chose you to do the task, and then he's going to enable you and accomplish what he wants to because he's the one who gave you the task. When has God ever made a bad choice? Say, oh, I don't know if he could use me. Well, didn't he choose you? Well, when have you, when have you known him to mess that one up? He doesn't make bad choices. God not once has ever made a bad choice. So then, why is he going to start now? That's out of his character. You go, I'm not that great. You're right. You're not that great. But you serve a great God. And he is the God of all flesh. So then you know what he can do? He can accomplish that which he wants to do. Because nothing's impossible for him. Whew. Let's go over to 2 Corinthians. Man. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. guys are in trouble because I have no idea what time I started so I have no idea how long I'm preaching tonight so here we go uh, for 2nd Corinthians chapter 1 verse number 3 not only is the God is uh, he the God of all flesh but he's the God of all comfort verse number 3 blessed be God even the father of our Lord Jesus Christ the father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. 
or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have ye ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. He also helping together by prayer for us that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. He's the God of all comfort. And you know what he does? He comforts us in any trouble. Doesn't matter what trouble you've gotten yourself into. It doesn't matter what trouble the world's tried to put you in. Doesn't matter the situation the devil's trying to push you over into. It only matters that God is the God of all comfort and he comforts in any trouble. He is the universal comforter. No matter what's going on in the Christian's life, you know what they have? They have a comforter that nobody else has. The world has no idea what it means to go into trouble and have the comforter show up. But you ought to. You ought to know what it's like. You ought to know what it's like even to have the sentence of death in ourselves. Well, Lord, I'm going to die. That is, that is literal death right there. He's not talking, telling a pretty story. He's going, nope, we have the sentence of death. We should be dead. And he goes, but the Lord just allowed that so that we wouldn't trust in ourselves. Say, so why does God let so many problems come in? Sometimes he lets those problems come in so you figure out you don't need to trust in you, you need to trust in him. Because he's the God of all comfort. And all the troubles and the problems and the trials and the, and the just flat out disappointments from other people and the things that failed around us and the troubles that just seem to be endless and the times when you think that there is nothing more that could be pressed and you are pressed above measure in so much that you despair even a life. You're ready to give up. I'm the God of all comfort. And it's time that you rest in the God of all comfort instead of resting in you. It's time you figured out that God is the one who delivers you from so great a death and doth deliver, and we trust that he will yet deliver us. Whether the problem was in the past, whether it's in the present, or whether it's coming in the future, God is still the God that will console you and take care of you and meet your need and go ahead and be there for you in the worst of times and in the best of times. We look around and we go, well, the storms are too much. Not for him. Nothing's too hard for him, even your troubles. We look around and we talked about Job in Sunday school this morning and he had miserable comforters, are ye all, that surrounded him and were around him and were with him and they were terrible friends and they weren't that great at comforting him. But you know who he still had? He still had God who could comfort him. And at the end of the story, you find out God shows up and is the God of all comfort still, even to somebody who had gone through the worst the worst tribulation that you and I would ever see. And God still shows up. And you go, well, he seemed pretty late in that fight. <laughs> no, he was right on time. He was right on time. He gave Job enough time to figure out that Job was not good enough. 
He gave Job enough time to figure out that his friends aren't that great. (laughs) He gave Job enough time to figure out that he is still God. And he humbles Job to know that he's God. And he humbles his friends to recognize they're idiots. And then he says, but Job, don't worry. You're with me. You're with me. And since I can do the impossible, you know what I'll do? I'll just double all your stuff. (laughs) Who does that? God does that. That's impossible. Yeah, except he's the God of all comfort who does the impossible. Oh, I could never get over. Okay. You're right. You can't ever get over without the God of all comfort. The troubles we have are minimal. You know, the children of Israel, they go in and Numbers chapter uh, 12 and 13, they're going to spy out the land, right? They're coming into the land of promise and they're getting ready to cross the Jordan and they, they send the 12 spies in, right? 12 went down to spy on Canaan. 10 were bad and 2 were good. And they come back and they get the report. You know, it's a funny statement those guys make. Those 10 fellows who decided that uh, it was too big of a problem and it was too much trouble to go ahead and take on these giants, their statement about the giants is that the giants, we were in their sight as grasshoppers. Grasshoppers. That's a funny statement. I don't have it written down right here. Uh, In Isaiah, you can read the book of Isaiah, just 66 chapters, you'll find it in there. Um, He makes the statement about God. God makes the statement that the inhabitants of the earth compared to Him are as grasshoppers. It's one of the only cross-references you get to that. You know what the children of Israel did that day? You know what those ten guys said? Those ten guys said those giants are bigger than God. That's the problem. They God-sized their problems. They made them as big as God is, and they said, well, we can't overcome. So what did Caleb and Joshua say? They said, we were well able. We're well able to overcome it. Why? Because they had a realistic vision of who God is. That when they knew they were going to go into some troubles there, they realized the troubles aren't the size of God. They're minuscule compared to Him. And even those giants are like grasshoppers in the eyes of a God of the universe who is the God of all flesh. You get into trouble and you know what you think? You think just like those guys thought. You get into trouble and you go, this problem's too big and God can't solve. God says, yeah, but I'm the God of all comfort. And I'll comfort you in any troubles. Is anything really too hard for me? I'm the God of all flesh. There's nothing too hard for me. And the troubles you've got, I mean, Jesus Christ, Mark chapter, uh, Mark chapter 4, right? He comes out and he's walking on the sea. The question comes up, well, what's happening with this storm? I apologize, he's not walking on the sea in that, in Mark chapter 4. He's in the boat. (laughs) They wake him up. And he says, uh, they wake him up. He steps out right onto the bow of the ship. 
peace be still. Boom, everything falls flat. Everything's good. Everything's fine. The disciples look at him and they're going, what manner of man is this? That even the wind and the seas obey him. You forgot who's in your boat. You forgot who's there. You know who he is? He's the God of all comfort and nothing is too hard for him. So the troubles and the trials really don't make much difference. As long as you've got the God of all comfort. Look over at 1 Peter chapter 5. He's the God of all flesh. He's the God of all comfort. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, we find him to be the God of all grace. This is going to be a fun one. I just, just so you know. Verse 5, he says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. I won't preach there. I'll keep going. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions, or those troubles, are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Say, who is he? He's the God of all grace. Grace is a wonderful thing. It's the unmerited favor of God. Uh, the dictionary defines it as uh, you and I getting special sanctification and special, uh, and special help to become sanctified in the eyes of God. That's one of the definitions. That's where it starts for the Christian. A lost man comes to the Savior and you know what they find? They find him to be the God of all grace because uh, Ephesians chapter 2, right? It's for by grace are you saved through faith. And that out of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. They're saving grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Grace. But that's just the start of the grace of God in the Christian's life. Realize saving grace is not the only graciousness that you get from God. God has given you so many things that you can richly enjoy that you and I really haven't plumbed the depths of the grace of, and the mercies of God. Now, the grace and the mercy are two different things. Uh, grace is the unmerited favor. Mercy is you and I not getting what we deserve. That's God not going ahead and pounded you into the ground and throwing you into a lake of fire for all of eternity. That's mercy. Uh, mercy is you and I not getting over and over again what we deserve, and we certainly deserve much worse than what you and I have currently. By the way, I think everybody breathing God's free air has gotten more from God than they deserve. Saved or lost alike, right now, if you're still breathing, God's merciful to you. 
Because he doesn't deserve to give you another breath once you've sinned against him. He can go ahead and bring judgment whenever he wants. But boy, he is merciful. He is merciful, and so upon being merciful, he is also gracious. Not only does he not give us what we deserve, he gives us things that we don't deserve. He gives us gifts. The first gift you and I got was the gift of salvation by trusting in Jesus Christ alone. But notice what he says here in verse number 10. Now, I certainly cannot cover everything about the grace of God in about five or ten minutes is what I'm trying to finish up with. There's no way I'm covering it. No way I'm covering it. But notice what he says here. I want to give you a little taste of the grace of God. He says, but the God of all grace who hath called us unto the, his eternal glory by, uh, by Christ Jesus after ye have suffered a while. You and I go, that doesn't sound very gracious. <laughs> that doesn't sound gracious, making me suffer. After you've suffered a while, notice what he's going to do for you. He'll make you perfect. Establish, strengthen, settle you. Suffering is a part of life. Tribulation is a part of life. Man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. Man is few of days and full of troubles. How many verses do we need, right? There's a lot. We all understand we got troubles. Problems are there. And they may be worse at times and they may not be so bad at other times, but trouble is there. It's always this present. You're either going into trouble, you're either in trouble, or you're getting out of trouble. But you're in, there, trouble's always around. Trouble's no real stranger to any of us. I was joking around with Brother Ben earlier, and I said, uh, uh, he's working hard. He's doing, might be picking up a second job here. You know, I said, that's good. I'll keep you out of trouble, hopefully. <laughs> he said, hopefully. We're pretty good at getting into trouble, though. And that's the truth. You and I, we get into trouble. We get ourselves into trouble. We get pulled into trouble by somebody else's trouble. We get all sorts of trouble around us. Sometimes we get trouble just because, hey, we started to try to do the right thing. The world didn't like it. The devil didn't like it. Somebody didn't like it. And so you and I get into trouble. Trouble's always going to be there. But the God of all grace is there. And you get into trouble and you know what you find? Not only is it their saving grace, they're sanctifying grace. Those troubles come and the problems come. God's willing to make you perfect, strengthen, and establish and settle you. He's looking to build you through those troubles and make you stronger. That's gracious. God's grace is giving you the strength that you need as you go through your trials and as you go through your troubles. He's not only comforting you, He's not only letting you know that He is the God of the impossible and He can go ahead and do whatever he feels like as the God of all flesh. He is also the God of all grace. And he goes, hey, you know what I can do? I can even give you some grace when you're in trouble. And I can make it so that you're stronger when you're done. I can clean you up. I can make you better. You realize that our sufferings sometimes come because you and I have done something wrong and the Lord wants to purge us and make us clean and make us better. Because until we get some of those weaknesses out, you know what we won't be? We won't be strong. We won't be established. We won't be settled. 
We won't be where we're supposed to be, standing where we're supposed to be, doing what we're supposed to do. Instead, those faults step in and you know what we become? We become people who cannot bear the burden that God wants us to have and to be able to do the job He wants us to do. And so he's got to clean that stuff out. He's got to clean that stuff out. And he's sanctifying and he's making it so that you're clean and you're a vessel fit for the master's use. And he's going ahead and going ahead to purge their conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And he's trying to do that with you and I so that we can stand strong and we can stand under the grace and the mercies of God. He's the God of all grace. And he's looking to sanctify you so that you can be established, so you can be settled, so you can be strong for him. He's trying to clean you up. We know in Hebrews chapter 4, you've got the throne of grace. And we come to that throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You say, what is that? I call that sustaining grace. It's a time of need. And you need to be sustained. You need to be held up. Because all the troubles and all the things and He comforts you and He lets you know I can do whatever I need to do. I'm the God of the impossible. But you know what you need? You need the grace of God. You need Him to give you some strength and you need Him to give you just a little, a little help holding you up. Just that little help to go ahead and gird you up just a little bit so that you can keep standing and you can keep fighting and you can keep going. You say, do I deserve that? Not at all. But God wants to give it. You know what amazes me? It amazes me that God wants me to be able to be better for Him. And He doesn't leave me comfortless, and He doesn't leave me just abandoned and sitting on the side of the road. God goes ahead and says, hey, you know what I can do? I can give you grace so that you can stand. I can give you grace so that although the trials are there and the troubles have come, you can come before a throne of grace and you'll find grace. It's there and waiting for you. That's not a lost man looking for a Savior. That's a saved man looking for a God who can help him in his times of troubles. And he's a wonderful God and he is the God of all grace. He gives you grace to sustain you in the days when things don't seem like they're going to be good. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, last one I'll do tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he gives you sufficient grace. I love this spot. I love this spot because the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I don't know if I said that. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul does exactly what I was talking about just a moment ago. He goes before a throne of grace that he may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, Christians oftentimes, they want mercy. They want the troubles to be gone. That's mercy, right? Just take it all away. Why should I have problems? Why should I have struggles? Why should I have all these, these things happening in my life? Why is it that bad things happen? And how come I can't get out from underneath it? And the Lord says, I don't always get to give you mercy. Romans, he says, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy and compassion on whom I'll have compassion. You know, you're not going to force God to be merciful to you. Just not. God promises that he can give mercy. One of the times he gives mercy is when a sinner comes to him for salvation. He promises mercy. But the conditions are, if I want to give you mercy, I'll give you mercy. But some days, 
God's not going to give you mercy. He's not going to do it. He's not going to take away the problem. He didn't do it to the Apostle Paul. You know where he is in verse number, oh, verse number seven. He says, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. Lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. Lord, give me some mercy. Take it. Take it. Take it. And he said, my grace is sufficient for thee. Say, I want God to take that away. Paul wanted it taken away. You know what the Lord said? Can't do that. I can't do that, Paul, because you don't realize it yet, but I need the abundance of revelations that I've given you. I don't want you to be exalted above measure. So I got to leave that thorn right there. And you don't understand that maybe, but Paul, I got to leave that there just for your benefit. Because I resist the proud, but I do give grace to the humble. Paul, I need you to be humble so I can give you my grace. Well, I don't want this. I know, but you need it. Because I need you to be humble. I need you to be humble because I need you to be able to get my grace so that you can serve me. And don't worry, my grace is sufficient for thee because for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Lord, I need you to take that away. I can't take that away. But you know what I promise? I promise that when you're weak, I'll be your strength. That's grace. That is grace that is sufficient for whatever trouble or trial or problem or event that you are dealing with. God says, you know what? I can be all sufficient grace for you. I can go ahead and I can give you the thing that will sustain you through whatever your trial may be. He is the God of all grace. That's why it's a throne of grace. It's not a throne of mercy. It's a throne of grace. So that as we step into our troubles and as we go through and as we look around and we go, God, I don't want this. Take it away from me. Take it away from me. Take it away from me. And he can go, I can't do that. I got to keep you humble, but can do is what I can do is I can make you strong even in your weaknesses you realize that the days that you and I are feeling weak are the days we ought to glory in our infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon us? You realize the days when you don't think you can do it and the days when you think that you should just give up and the days that truly you feel like you are inadequate and that there's no point 
God is trying to look at you and say, could you ask me for some grace? Because I have that. I may not have mercy today for you, but I do have grace. Because I am the God of all grace. And the troubles are there. And Paul's statement is, I'll take pleasure in infirmities. In reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, that am I strong. You talk about one of the greatest contradictions in Scripture. There it is, right there. Paul literally goes, when I'm weak, I'm strong. (laughs) When I'm feeling inadequate, I'm at my best. (laughs) Christian, you realize that's what God wants to do? He wants to take you when you feel like you are inadequate and you are unworthy and you are unable and you feel like you are a complete and total and utter failure compared to everybody else. You know what he says? I can work with that. Isn't that amazing? He's the God of all grace. You know what he wants to do? He wants to take somebody who feels completely inadequate at what they can do and he goes, don't worry, I go ahead and I make the weak things confound the mighty. I make those base things and those things that are despised and I take those things that are not and I go ahead and I put them up past all the greatness of the world and I show how amazing I am that the power of Christ rests upon them. How amazing it is when the God of all flesh reaches down and says, hey, you know what I can do? I can use you to go ahead and accomplish what I want to accomplish because I am the God of all comfort. No matter what troubles come, that's what I can do. I can comfort you in any of your troubles because you're willing to humble yourself and come before a throne of grace and I'm the God of all grace and I can give you all sufficiency no matter what you go through. I mentioned it earlier, you realize that the fear of failure is actually not a question of fearing failure, it's a question of faithlessness. It's a fear that God's not going to come through and do what He promised He would do. It's a lack of faith. And it's a lack of faith because Christians don't understand that He is the God of all flesh, the God of all comfort, and the God of all grace. And if we could get a hold of that, I don't rightly know there's anything you and I could not accomplish that God asks us to do. Because He wants you to succeed. He is a God that wants to and is trying to enable you to succeed at everything He asks you to do. There is nobody who wants you to do more than He does. There's nobody who wants you to be better than He does. There's nobody who wants to supply the need of grace and the need of His, of his hand and His power and His might into your life. There's nobody else that wants that more than He wants that for you. So then why would He come up short in the time that you need Him? That's out of His character. He always does exceeding abundantly above anything you could ask or think. And I often wonder if He is the God of all. Why don't you and I trust Him more? Why do we stagger at such promises? Why do you and I not reach for the things that He has promised us to have and the things that He wants you to have 
and we shrink back from it as opposed to reaching for it going, God could do that. God could do that. Why couldn't he do that for you? Say, what's the problem? The problem's me. The problem is me. It's not him. He's the God of all flesh. He's the God of all comfort. He's the God of all grace. It's my end that lacks. It's my faith that lacks to see him do great things that you and I really ought to be able to accomplish. Because he is the God of all. Let's go ahead and stand. Maybe, maybe the Lord's dealing with you tonight and you just need to come down and say, Lord, I, I need to trust you more. Increase my faith because you are a great God. And I know I'm not great, but you're great. And you want to do more than I could ever have dreamed. And I know what you've asked me to do. Give me the courage and the strength to do what you asked me to do. Give me the grace to get through it. Maybe that's what you need tonight. If you're in here and you're lost, there's saving grace for you. He can save to the uttermost if you just trust Him. And we'd love to give you the opportunity to come and get my attention. Show you from the Word of God how you can know your sins are forgiven forever. But He is the God of all. And I hope tonight we worship Him as that. Exactly that, the God of all. Lord, I pray you would be with this invitation now. Bless our time in Jesus' name. Amen.